Welcome to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. Sponsored by Leadership Excursion Company and recorded from The Coop, located in Summerlin, Las Vegas. Join us as we explore personal stories of leaders who are making incredible impacts in their businesses, lives, and communities. Get ready to be inspired, see things from a new perspective, and learn new tools to help overcome challenges. This is what leadership looks like. Today's a special edition of the Leadership Looks Like podcast. We are recording live from The Coop, a co-working space located in Summerlin, Las Vegas. Thank you guys all for being here. Fantastic. All right, so we have we also have Stephanie Rosal. She is the owner of Sky Coaching. You'll recognize Stephanie from episode seven of our podcast where she shared her story of riding a bicycle 545 miles from San Francisco to Los Angeles to raise money for AIDS awareness. So welcome back, Stephanie. Thanks, Cree. It's really great to have you back. Thank you. Um, we're hosting a live audience this week because we have a group of people who are interested in starting their own podcast. So um, we will have some audience questions today that will be coming in during our conversation and... Um, What's going to happen is after we're done recording here during this event, we're going to be going over the equipment that we use for our podcast along with all of our workflows, and I will be doing a write-up on those details, and that link will be in the show notes, so you'll want to look at that um, to reference that information. So with that said, Stephanie... How are you? I'm great, Cree. How are you? I'm doing great. Wonderful. Now, the last time you were on a show, you talked about your professional journey and how you started out as a valet worker working for Harris in Reno <laughs> and ultimately worked your way up the corporate ladder and helped uh, open the Encore Casino mm-hmm. in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. which is a pretty remarkable career. It was a big, it was a long journey. Yeah, yeah it was a long journey. And now you own your own coaching business now, mm-hmm. Sky Coaching. Mm-hmm. And how, six years? Yeah, a little, little bit more than six years, yes. Yeah. And we do go into detail about that in, in the last episode. But I listened to your, I listened to the episode today. Okay. I took a little walk down memory lane. Okay. And, and had a listen. Now, one thing that really stood out in that conversation was something you said about your career. And it was, you know, you had climbed the corporate ladder and you got to a, a point where you were ready to do something else. Mm-hmm. And you always felt like you were chasing after success. And it made you really re- reevaluate where you were and mm-hmm. what success meant to you. Mm-hmm. And what you said was um, you intentionally moved from success to significance. Right in starting out your own business. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about significance in your life now with your coaching business. Well, when I think about significance, I think about meaning, like what matters to me and how am I taking care of what I care the most about professionally and personally. And as I was telling you before, when I was performing in a role inside of a company, my my last corporate role was vice president of human resources. I really felt like I was doing my job, but if you asked me what would I be doing even if I wasn't getting paid for it, it wouldn't have been that set of tasks. There was something else that was calling, and I knew it actually for quite some time, but just like a lot of folks, I kind of made that deal with myself, like not yet, or I could get more education or more training or more certifications before I actually made that leap, and so... It was only a matter of time, but I set up plenty of resistance for myself along the way. Yeah. 
which you overcame. Yeah, yes. And I think like we all do that. But those kind of rationalizations that we have around, well, not yet. Yes, someday. So luckily, someday happened. And that was a little more than six years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was the thing for you that that one final, you know, like, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to change my, my career and my lifestyle and everything else. Well, it was something that I had been planning for and something that I knew I, again, working for myself, having my own business, that was something I would admire people who had the guts to do that. And again, I would say, yes, yeah, someday I'm going to do that. Someday I know that that's the right thing for me. But for the time being, it felt more safe to have a weekly paycheck and benefits covered and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I had been preparing for it. I'd been going to um, trainings. I had been getting educated and getting certified and then starting to like dabble in it on the side until finally the the universe, I think, works in amazing ways and that I got paid to um, to get out of a contract. And then it was like, okay, I can't, there's no more excuses. Now is the time for me to finally take it on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you have to have the courage to go for it. Yeah. Well, and, and again, I feel like the universe set me up yeah. so that I could be courageous, that I could be brave. I, I was fortunate to have that push into this thing that I'd been planning on doing for quite some time. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you've been in business for six years. Mm -hmm. How long did it take for you to really ramp up your business where you started to feel comfortable? Uh, that first year, it was as if, you know, a, the pendulum had to swing the other way. Because for 20 plus years, I had been working in a certain way. And um, there was a lot of obligation associated with that way of being. And so that first year, I just wanted to shake it all off. And I just wanted to um, not work that hard, or I really just wanted to be in choice instead of obligation. So um, at the end of the first year was when I thought, oh, man, I got to get serious about this. And wouldn't it be amazing if I could make it work, if I really could make a living at this? Because that first year, I thought I was getting away with something and somebody was going to eventually come and tap me on the shoulder and say, what are you thinking? Get back to work. You know, this is you don't get to live like this. So um, I buckled down at the end of that first year and got serious about it. And it was a process. You, um, from time to time, would say, Steph, you got to do this, you got to do that, when it came to networking and marketing. Um, and so I did it my way, and I did it through relationship cultivation, um, not unlike the way I, when I was on the board for the center and we thought about fundraising, it really wasn't about fundraising, it was about relationship cultivation. So um I would meet folks or I'd have conversations and I'd consider what's possible here between us. Is there something? And that's how those things started to take shape for me as I was building my business. Yeah. And then who did you reach out to while you were building your business when you ran into roadblocks or challenges? So fortunately, um, I studied with a group of um, great coaches, people who were more experienced than I was. And so um, I built a network of resources, like people that had gone before me or who, have, who had navigated this, um, even the people that served as my coaches as I was learning over the years. So that was one um, set of folks that helped me. And then I also stayed connected to my colleagues. So having a career in HR, the HR folks are the ones who make decisions about hiring people like me. So good news, I could um, reach out and um, connect with them. or And I also knew what some of the challenges were that they faced because I did that as well. So 
I could offer myself as a um, solution for them from time to time. Yeah. Now, for six years, there are different trends, I'm sure, that happen. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some trends that are going on now within the industry, leadership, management, executive, Mm -hmm. management, whatever. And um, let's dive into some of those specific topics that, that you've been been managing over the last year. So really, one of the things that I noticed as I was kind of taking stock at the end of last year was in almost every conversation with almost every client, we had a conversation around resilience. Like, what does that mean? And so we talked about the a lot about the biology of stress, like what happens to us when we feel out of sorts or out of alignment. And, um, upset by what we might see going on around us. And then we also talked about the science of hope. Like, what is that? How do you rebuild when you take a hit? And so the topic of resilience was loud and clear, a common trend last year. So that was something that I noticed. Yeah. And what I like about that is, you know, you mentioned stress. Mm -hmm. And when you think about resilience, you think about, okay, how am I going to bring myself back? Right? How am I going to, uh, after being knocked down or, or um, running into a challenge, you know, what am I doing to bring that back? So what type of guidance do you give your clients when they're really trying to tap into re- their resilience? Well, there are different, uh, different things that we talk about, again, depending on the individual. So we talk a little bit about, well, what, what, is, what are their practices? Like, how do they stay healthy? What are the things that nourish them or um, replenish them? Sometimes it's simple stuff like sleep. Like, most of us are pretty sleep-deprived. Um, so there's – I get them focused on stuff that they can do something about because um, there's willpower and then there's way power, right? So helping people to understand it's not just grit, it's not just digging deeper, but it's also identifying different paths. Um, and so one of the most powerful is simply the act of conversation. Like, who do you have in your life to unpack this with? And when they're my client, then we have each other. So that's one smart investment that they're making in themselves. But other than that, we talk about and help them take stock of what surrounds them, what resources are available to them. So there's the people in their lives, and then there's the practices in their lives. Um, the questions around like sleep and nutrition, but also like what are the things that, again, help you f- get back to yourself or reframe, whether that's taking a walk, walking your dog, having some kind of regular practice um, that helps them recognize that they're still in control of something, right? They still have choices. So, um, and then I, I talk to them a lot about different books or, or podcasts or videos or things like that, that help them to shift the frame. Yeah. And just to listen to what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. There's so much information out there and it's important to open yourself up to that. And, you know, I like how you talk about that relationship between doing something practical and then being able to loop that up into something bigger. So I might come to you and say, I'm, I'm so stressed out. I'm not sleeping. And you're coaching someone through that experience and something they can really connect with, but you're turning that into a resiliency conversation because that's really what it's all about, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So really tying that that's tiny thing up into working on someone's resiliency, which is a positive thing, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, one of the things that I researched this year was these distancing techniques. And, um, you know, when I've had friends or clients that were – 
um, in difficult situations, because we all have difficult situations, and we tend to look at them like it's somehow a failure if we're ex- experience some kind of breakdown. But life is full of those, right? Relationships are full of those. And it's how we respond that matters, not the fact that they happen. So um, actually, I pulled out and, and used these distancing techniques in some training that I did recently. But even how you talk to yourself about the concern, the issue that you have, getting it out of your head and, and recognizing, oh, this is something I'm feeling right now, but it's temporary. It's not permanent, right? Or that whole travel forward in time and saying, you know, what will matter to me about this in 30 days or what will matter to me about this a year from now? Because that, again, puts things in perspective, but it also shows that you have some choices in the matter. Do you want this to be the time where everything took a turn for the worst or was it the time that you had to break down and figured out some new techniques and had a breakthrough? So there, there's something that I, I just looked it up online, but it was something that I found to be useful in multiple conversations, not just in training around communication and staying engaged when the message is hard to hear, but also it helped a lot of my clients as well. Yeah. And you have another approach too that that I love and um, it's you mentioned it in the last episode and it's um, replacing judgment oh, yeah. with curiosity. That was my theme in 2017 because I was frustrated by what was going on in the world, um, concerned about it, right? And I could, and you know, that I had different views from people that I loved. <laughs> so um, in order for me to make sense of it, I had to adopt this motto that I was going to replace judgment with curiosity. So instead of saying that was good, bad, right, wrong, he should or shouldn't do this or say that, um, instead I would try to say, so I wonder what would make that make sense or wonder why that's the best choice for that person at that time. And it allowed me to be more generous in my interpretations of other people's actions. And it made my life better because I could be, I could see what was positive instead of dwelling in, I wish things weren't the way they were. Yeah. We could also do that with yourself. Oh, yeah. When you're having those conversations with yourself or you're, you're evaluating, mm-hmm. you know, we're so hard on ourselves mm-hmm. um, or we've done something the same way. Mm-hmm. There's change and all of that. So if you put on that curiosity lens, yeah. I think that's a way to to have your breakthroughs. Yeah. And I often say, like, so what would you say to your best friend as they were going through the same situation? Because it would be way nicer than what you're saying to yourself, <laughs> yeah. typically. Yeah. And uh, the other one I ask is, you know, what would my best self do? Okay, I might not be my best self right now, and I might not choose that, but what would she do? You know, so that something novel, but again, it shows me that I've got choice in the matter instead of just reacting to what's going on. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned difficult conversations Mm -hmm. and challenges. Mm -hmm. How do you approach difficult conversations or division, um, those types of of roadblocks? Well, I mean, I don't, I think that they're unavoidable. And those who do figure out how to stay engaged in the difficult conversations, they've got an advantage, right? They've got um, a skill that will serve them well. So I think when we are faced with difficult conversations, difficult situations, whenever we feel threatened, we tend to either fight right? So we might turn against something, snuff it out, kill it, make it go away. Or um, flight, where we turn away, we avoid, we don't want to have to deal. <laughs> and or sometimes we freeze, right? We don't know what the hell to do. 
So um, there's a third option from turning away or turning against, and that's that turning towards and resting in. And it's like you can actually physically feel what that would look like if you were going to turn towards something and rest in. And it doesn't mean that we know what to do or um, what the right answer will be, but we're in to figure it out. And it brings a different energy that turn towards and rest in. So it might just be like, I don't know what to do with that, or here's my concern. A lot of times in difficult conversations, we're talking about one thing, but there's a different motivation that's going on back here. Like there's a first conversation, but we each have a second conversation going on behind the scenes. And the more often people can bring that second conversation forward, speak into a concern, and it might be like, hey, here's what I'm really worried about. Or um, at the risk of sounding like this, I still want to say this to you, right? So it kind of opens up the space and allows us to, again, speak into the concern. That's like um, my partner calls it like, what do you call it, verbal judo or something like that when I use that in a conversation. But it does, again, it opens up the space and allows us to get more direct into and talk like from here instead of from here, from your heart, from your gut, rather than just your head. Yeah. Talk about how things like handling stress, managing division, or um, you know, coming from a place of curiosity all ties into resilience. Well, again, it, it helps you to see where you have choice in the matter, right? That there's, there's, I see a way, right? When we feel most hopeless, it's when we feel blocked. Like when we feel like we can't, the things we care about, we can't reach, we can't take care of. But it allows us to take those small steps towards um, getting unstuck. So again, it helps us to start to see the pathway forward. It helps with resilience. That's part of like the the science of rebuilding hope. And there's great um, research out there on both of those things um, and some great nonprofits, especially on the West Coast, that focus on rebuilding the science of hope. Yeah. Before we started to, uh, recording today, we have a couple of members of the audience who are starting their own business. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about podcasts and we were also, you know, they're, they're looking into starting a nonprofit. And we started talking about how you tap into those bigger resources and really um, build that community of people around you or learn how to reach out to people to help you. So, um, you know, having that network of resources you tapped into earlier, but let's, let's dive into that a little bit more. So what kind of a frame of, of mind do you need to be in to be able to tap into those resources? So I have um, a project that I've been working, I've been a part of for the last six years, and it's something here um, in Southern Nevada called the Jameson Fellowship. And it is, um, it's a capacity building um, effort serving nonprofit leaders in Southern Nevada. And um, we have this saying there, and we call it the door number two approach to collective impact. And what we mean by that, and, and the, the founder, the funder is, uh, Gard Jameson. He is a local professor. He teaches, uh, Eastern philosophy at UNLV, but he's also like a, a philanthropist and, um, he's involved in all kinds of different, um, investments in improving Southern Nevada. So anyway, he talks about how we have choice in our life. And I, that's one of my fundamental beliefs is around choice because, when we realize we have choice, then we see what our what our power is, and um, we feel empowered. But so he's saying, you know, there's the door number one that we're all pretty familiar with. There's um, 
territorialism, there's threat, there's concern, we have to be cautious, we have to be on guard, um, we see what's wrong with the world. And then there's door number two, which is just a vi as viable an option as door number one. And in door number two, you see collaboration, you see possibilities, you see what we have in common, as opposed to what divides us. So taking that kind of door number two approach, and I am happy to be an optimist. I have I have some lawyer friends who say, Steph, you're foolish, and um, you should know that everything keeps getting worse. And I'm like, that's, that's a hard way to live, right? I prefer to see what's possible. Again, generous interpretations of what's happening in the world. So the mindset, I think, is to see what's possible, to see um, what kind of future we could have together. And that doesn't mean that every single person that I meet, I think, oh, yeah, I see something there. But it also, that's what I'm looking to see, is what's possible in, in a conversation with this person or in a collaboration with this person. Yeah, and just realizing, you know, you're not the first person to maybe have an idea or mm -hmm. want to help a certain group of people or open a certain type of business, right? And, um, you know, Stephanie's someone that reads a ton of books and listens to podcasts. And so so that's always something good to do is to, to reach out and uh, figure out who those resources are. And then there's the other piece that I know I get wrapped up into is I, I have this idea and I want to defend it to the death, you know? And I have to get myself into a state of vulnerability really to open up and accept that information, you know? And um, I mean, I know how I, I have to cry and have like something really bad happen for me to kind of finally go, oh yeah, I should probably be vulnerable about this and accept this information. How do you manage vulnerability or help coach your clients with, with uh, vulnerability? Well, one of the cool things about being an executive coach is that people allow you to be in their corner. Like they, that's kind of, these were the conversations that I liked having with people earlier on in my career, the ones that I would have, even if I wasn't getting paid for them, right? Just like what makes people tick and um, what are their concerns and where do, where is it safe for them to um, say they don't know versus having to pretend like they got it all under control. So that's one of the values of being somebody's trusted resource and confidant. But um, as a coach, I'm not just their cheerleader. If I don't push them towards their edge and help them um, experiment with things that otherwise would be uncomfortable, then they're not getting their money's worth. So this is actually something that we set up in the beginning as I walk them through, here's what to expect from this relationship. And even kind of prepare them to say, you know, at, at the beginning, it sounds awesome. Like, yeah, I've got this person's going to be focused on me and my development. But then if we're doing it right, then maybe four or five sessions in, we hit some hard stuff. And it might be tempting to say, well, I'm really busy right now, or I didn't do my homework, or, um, you know, it would be better if we could reschedule this. And so I kind of set it up early on to say, when we hit that, and if we do, we need to acknowledge it, recognize it, say, yeah, we thought this might happen, and do it and get together anyway. So um, I kind of, I professionally am allowed to get in and talk about that, to encourage them to touch it, to be vulnerable. Yeah. And then the breakthroughs happen. Yeah. Yeah. And in this process, I learn as much, if not more, about human nature and what makes something work or not. You know, like it's, it's the most selfish profession in that I'm continually benefiting from the conversations that I have with folks. 
So I get to share my mistakes I and have a laugh at them, actually. Oh, I screwed that up before. You want to hear? You know, and so like, it's actually, it's useful. My mistakes are now valuable in sharing, you know, how we learn stuff deep when we learn it the hard way. Oh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> yeah. I know that. Um, yeah, and you know, these are all leadership trends that, that are happening. There's one more trend I want to talk about that I know comes up with my clients. Um, we host a women's retreat in Zion National Park called Spark Women's Retreat every year. And um, self-care is at the top of the list when it comes to, uh, I'm going to say women, but I'm going to even say business owners or mm-hmm. anybody who is just out there really working hard. Uh, what advice do you have when it comes to self-care? So I see this both, I mean, it, regardless of gender, and um, for the most part, regardless of profession, nonprofit and for-profit, you know, it's for folks who are driven, it's easy to um, keep the commitments to ourselves last, right? Those, though, that are the best at it, I mean, that, that, that are most successful, they have practices of self-care. Um, they have routines, things that actually don't zap their willpower because they're already chunked up and embodied. So whether that is meditation on a regular basis or having some kind of regular physical activity or um, even a practice of reading regularly, whatever it is that kind of fills their bucket and, and, and some have, you know, more than one, but it, it came, it's on purpose. It's not by accident that they ended up there. So the question you were asking me, will you say it again? Just about um, advice for practicing self-care. Okay. So there's the reminders of things like you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Or if you're going to continue to extend and give, you've got to inhale, you've got to um, have something to give, right? Um, so I encourage my clients to think about their um, good life and actually recognize that they're allowed to design it and that there are specific domains in our lives. There's what we do professionally and, and within our career. There's what we do in the domain of relationships, whether it's friends or family, loved ones, right? There's what we do in the domain of our self-development, self-care, um, whether that's some kind of renewal or learning, but what is it that you do on purpose for your benefit? And then the fourth one for me is in the area of service. Like, so again, that goes back to significance and meaning, but where am I making a contribution? Because it also is a place where I belong, wherever I can contribute. So I actually have my clients think through and describe what a good life would be. What are good practices? What are things that, not like I'll be happy when I achieve this and when I can finally do that. But if I were going to say this was a fantastic day, what were the elements that were in there? Or if I were going to say it was a fantastic week, month, or year, then what were the qualities? And and when we chunk it out in those domains, it allows them to say, oh, I'm in charge of this. Instead of waiting for somebody else to say, that's enough, good job, pat you on the back, now you get a promotion. This is for you to say, this is what I could declare satisfaction with. So it's it's a... It's a way to start to frame it and for people to recognize, oh, I can design this. I, I get to choose instead of waiting for somebody else to say, well done or good enough. Yeah. I th- when you describe that, I think about um, setting goals, right? It's hard to achieve a high level goal that you can't even touch. But if you break it down mm-hmm. into those smaller chunks, then 
it becomes achievable, those small little steps. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes. Now, sticking with latest leadership trends, um, let's talk about Me Too and Time's Up. Mm -hmm. You've all seen this happening now. And actually, Stephanie and I were talking about this the other day. And lots of the questions that I get about this topic and what's happening now is, what do we do now? And there's so much confusion about now that there are more stories coming out and there are more people sharing this information, you know, what do we do with that information as leaders? And um, I think we both agreed we don't really know yet. Yeah. And it's not like this is brand new. (laughs) It's not like this, oh, this just happened. It's been happening, right? But now the acknowledgement and um, the apparent response, it's encouraging. I don't think like we were through people coming forward, right? And it's going to continue to unfold. And so I was just last week, we were up at um, Sundance and we were at the film festival and every year they have this women at Sundance brunch. And, um, it's really empowering. Like that's one of the, my favorite things all year. Like I leave there so jazzed up and I think that's the stuff I want to do. So um, this year they had this panel of six different organizations that were um, working towards parity, equity, and normalization of, um, of the feminine in, in film and um, in entertainment. Um, but they had like this one organization called 50-50 by 2020. And they're talking about having, again, parity um, amongst film directors or, or people contributing to the stories we hear in the world. And um, they, they were talking about how do we leverage a time like this to get the commitments that we want. Somebody said something like, you know, one of the biggest um, fallacies or um, the untruths that we've been fed is that inclusion and diversity, um, that, that for some reason being female makes us diverse when in reality we make up 52% of the population. So for us to believe that inclusion of women in, um, leadership is diversity, it's kind of crazy, right? In fact, inclusion of women in leadership is more like normalization, like really making, those ranks match the rest of the world. But um, I think that there's, we're we're at a certain time where we're being called to step in, step up, contribute. I think that um, a feminine approach to leadership is practical. We figure stuff out. Um, We've got grit. We've got perseverance. We have, we all have egos, but I mean, I think that the ones that we would bring to problem solving or to addressing some of the concerns in the world would be different. There's a little, and again, I could be biased because I could be, we all are, but um, I think there's also a little bit more humility. Like, I don't know if there's one right answer, but let's, let's, we have, we were talking about this the other day, like we can wait to act until we know, right? But the problems that we're solving today are more and more complex. And they're the kind of problems that you have to act in order to know. Right. So you can't know before you act. You might have to take some small steps and reevaluate and then figure out what our next step will be. So, um, with time's up, people declaring, you know what? No more wait your turn. You'll get there eventually. 
there's um there's there's a woman named Naomi Klein and she's written about things like um disaster capitalism but she talks about half after big um events around the world like whether it's a hurricane or it's an earthquake there are folks who know how to get in there and provide the solutions and make a lot of money off of that so at this panel the ladies were talking about okay crisis feminism so because this is all um, come up and it's kind of loosened things up and it's generated a different conversation. How do we begin to make agreements that will help us to get to parity sooner? Not you'll get 10% this year and then another 10% next year and we'll all be happy with our progress. Them saying, no, let's make it normal now. Let's make it match now. So I appreciate that people are declaring that time is up. We're done waiting. And I do think that the time is now for people to step, for women to step up and in, even though we don't know exactly how to do it and it won't look like those who've done it before, but that's okay. And then as far as the Me Too goes, I don't know anybody who can't say Me Too. So that being said, it's not new. Do I hope it subsides? Do I hope it lessens? Sure. I don't know. I don't know if it will. But the fact that we're all saying, you know what, that's not okay and we know that we've got support for that, I think that that's got to be good. Yeah, and just the fact that we're talking about it. That's always good. Mm -hmm. We're talking about it. So advice to somebody who, you're, you're working for a company, you know you're not paid equally. You know, what's that first step that you could do to start to have those conversations about um, equal pay or or? Uh, getting a promotion or whatever that might look like in your organization. Hmm. Well, it'll all, it, it's all in the conversation, right? Yeah. And um, making sure that you are talking to the right person, right? And that you've got a committed listener, that you've really got their attention and that you are a committed speaker and you know what you want to ask for, that you're clear about that, that you make the request. You might ask questions. You might say, so if this is what I'm earning, um, this is what I understand to be, you know, the going rate. Um, what does it take to make that, you know, to like, let's first of all, look at the disparity and then let's talk about, is there a good reason for it? Okay. Then what's the path to rectifying that? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, again, this is not an easy thing to do, but it's something that we, we, we don't enter into a lot of these conversations. We shut ourselves out from a lot of the conversations more so than we need to. So it starts by entering. It starts by asking the question. Um, and you can't really control the answer, but you can enter into the conversation. So, you know, with when, when we think about Me Too, Time's Up, and these um, concerns around um, inequities, you the the topic of power in politics tends to come up quite a bit and we have negative connotations around those things like when we think about power lots of those sayings like absolute power corrupts absolutely right so my, in my world i think about power as who has what capacity to do what in an organization and it could be in a family it could be on a team or in a company but who has what capacity, whether it's deciding where we allocate resources or saying yes or no to something, but that's truly power. And sometimes it's positional, but a lot of times it's relational, right? You, you're more influential when you are more connected to folks. So if that's power and we can like 
desensitize ourselves from that. It's just like, okay, who has capacity to do what in that organization? That helps me think about who should I be in conversation with? Because politics, even though that has a pretty negative connotation as well, I think about politics as who is allowed to be in what conversation in a family, on a team, in an organization. And we tend to not think we're allowed to be in certain conversations when there's nothing stopping us, right? So, well, there, I mean, we're the ones stopping us. Yeah. So if we look at power in politics that way, it all goes back to the generative nature of the conversations that we're in or not in. Like where we get stuck is what is the conversations we're not in. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 based, on the, it's based on relationships and the difficult conversations. We've touched on a lot of this today. And, you know, walking into any conversation and just, you know, hitting somebody with, with something so heavy, mm. you're not going to get very far. Yeah. But, you know, we're having these conversations, building those relationships, building your allies, your support group, right? Whatever that might look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and with my clients, I kind of walk through like, okay, so when we think about effective communication, I ask them like, the, are you clear that you're talking to the right who? Mm-hmm. And then um, that you, you're doing it at the right time, right? So the, the right when. And then the right where, like the right methodology. You know, is it email? Is it text? Is it in person? Is it over the phone? Is it via Skype? Like how, how do you determine the right methodology? And then there's – so I go through the who, the when, the where, the how, um, and the what. And so the, – and the why, like, goes all the way through it. But there's, like, ways to kind of get yourself ready to ensure that you're having the most effective conversation that you can. But so, like, the, there's there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that can help all of us have more effective conversations. Yeah, and I think it, I'll add to just listening. Yeah, you're right. You so, know, <laughs> yeah, that for is, all of us. That's a superpower for everybody mm-hmm. is their ability to listen. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. Are you ready to hop into some rapid fire questions? Sure. <laughs> sure. All right. Um, you know, on the last, when you were in before for the last episode, you talked about journaling. Mm-hmm. It's been a huge part of your life for a long time. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you talked about how funny it was to go back mm. in time and read you yeah. know, some of those journals and what yeah. was going on. A little embarrassing sometimes. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> and uh, there's lots of journals out on the market now. There's Passion Planners. There's um, The Best Journal. There's also, I mean, I can go on and on about all of the names. What is your method for journaling? How do you fit that in your day? What do you know to write about? Um, do you have a certain, do you have specific things that you write about? Go into detail about that. So I carry my journal all the time, like a little safety blanket, right? So it's this little book that's in there. And sometimes it's just where I put my to-do lists. And other times it's where I try to figure something out or um, work through feelings or try to prep something. So it's just my friend that goes everywhere with me. And then there's other um, – because writing is the most thoughtful form of reflection, right? Really, like because it forces you to – there's something biologically that happens when you put the pen to the page as well. So that's a place that I just, I like to carry it with me. But I also, like on a monthly basis, there's a couple of things that I do that I kind of take stock of where am I, where are we, and um, where am I going? So, and and that's something that I, I share with others. So like I have kind of accountability partners in this. Um, but I like those routines I because 
it allows me to feel like, okay, I'm doing this on purpose. I'm not just in a drift because we can all just, you know, kind of drift along. Um, so there are times where I'm like more dedicated and I really need my journal a lot if I'm processing through stuff. And then other times it's just what makes my purse heavy, but it's with me all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that too. You know, I, I'm more of a task journaler. I don't journal as I'm thinking. I have a whiteboard, so I'll, I'll kind of brainstorm on a whiteboard and then figure out what I'm going to do and I'll write that down. Um, but the thought of other people reading my journal? Well, yeah. You got to get it's kind of a bold move to yeah. put your most innermost thoughts down. Um and you just got to trust those around you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you have or any... keep it on you at all times? Yeah, or keep it. Yeah. <laughs> you have That's little, why your bag is heavy. Lock. Yeah. <laughs> um do you have any new year's resolutions? So I have like um 2018 aspirations. Yeah. So, and again, I did them in those domains of what I wanted to do professionally and what I wanted to do personally with my relationships, what I wanted to do in the domain of my ongoing development, and then in the domain of service. So I actually write that out. Like if 2018 is a great year, here's what the case will be in these four domains. Um, and it allowed me to kind of think about, all right, I know I want to go more in the direction of empowering women and girls or causes that support their development and them believing in themselves. Because by doing that, I get that same benefit. Um, but so it allowed me to think about, well, what do I have to let go of in order to make room for that? Like, what comfort do I need to get ready to um, let go of so that I can reach towards something that I know would be more significant? Yeah. yeah. Do you write that in your journal? I write it in something I call my map. Okay. And, but yeah, I did kind of work it out in my journal first. Um, so... But yeah, and, and in that map, I, that's the thing I update monthly and I send it to, I have like this group, this mastermind group, and we talk about, you know, our good life, trying to keep each other on track. So we kind of turn that into each other every month. Okay. So you have a resolution and mm-hmm. you write it down, you put it on your map or you write it in your journal. Mm-hmm. And at one point, do you kind of mark it off? Well, there's certain things like I can say done, mm-hmm. you know, um, and there's other things that I kind of go back and they're, they're ongoing things. Like they're in the domain of relationship, like seeing this, this one family, like once every three months. I mean, it sounds like it's too structured, but if it's like been a little while and I look at that every month, I think, you know what? We need to get in touch with them. But that's a way of being purposeful about maintaining the relationships that matter to me. Cause otherwise life's busy. And I'm kind of addicted to being busy and, I, you know, we have full lives. So it allows me to, again, think about what matters to me. And then it also allows me to look at it and go, yeah, I did that. I can declare satisfaction. I can be happy with it. So there's certain things that will happen. Like I'll do, instead of doing the California, the AIDS life cycle, which you ride from San Francisco to LA, and that happens every year, end of May, beginning of June. This year, we're going to do the East Coast AIDS ride and you ride from Boston to New York. And that'll happen in September and and there's fundraising that goes with that. And then when it does, then I will write done next to that at the end of September. But so there, there'll be some things that are easy to cross off, but there's other things that are really just ongoing practices that I like to stay on top of. And then do you just go back in your journal and kind of reflect on what you've completed for the year? Or? That's that monthly practice of okay. my map. So of your that, map. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. All right. Um is something interesting, and you brought this up earlier, you know, you were starting your business, and I remember having these conversations with you, mm-hmm. and I would say, Stephanie, 
mm-hmm. you need a website. Mm-hmm. Stephanie, you need to be on Twitter or, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. So Stephanie, who's been in business for six years, she's not on social media. Nothing. I spend countless hours every week putting out content. I have this podcast. I, you know, I'm constantly doing this. So I'm curious to know you. You don't have this type of a workflow um, or burden on your plate, really. So how are you getting clients and maintaining your business without tapping into social media? So I resisted that because it didn't feel authentic to me. I do have a Facebook page, but it's not my name. It's an alias. And so, and I do technically have a Twitter account, but I never go on it. And um, I've had lots of colleagues say, you need to be blogging and you need to be doing all this stuff on LinkedIn and you need to be playing the social media game. Cree has always been one of them. <laughs> she, she called me years ago and said, you know what? You need to get on this thing called Friendster. Oh, yeah. I was like, do I really? I don't think I do. Now you but, know how old we are. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyways, the way I've done it has been, again, through relationship cultivation It's um, through ongoing conversations, and then those things have parlayed into more and more and more. And I think that um, part of it is that I'm consistent with the folks that I work with. Like, I'm choosy, but then um, I will listen to what their concerns are, and then I'll make offers into that instead of saying, hey, I'm an executive coach. Here are all the features and benefits of working with an executive coach. You want to hire me? I never do that. Instead, I get to know folks and um, we talk about what matters to them, what's challenging for them, what um, they wish they could be doing more of or um, helping them to align with what matters. So um, that's the way I've made offers that were accepted. And then it truly has built on itself year after year. But part of it, like it helps that I was based here, you know, consistently for the last six years. I have clients that are all over the place, but um, my all of my clients come through relationships more so than touting my features and benefits. I technically do have a website, you and do. Cree tells me it needs to be updated. But it for it's um, it's a piece of the puzzle. It's part of my credibility, just like my link, LinkedIn page. But it's not the way I lead. It's not the way I introduce myself to folks. If people are curious, they can go look at that and go, oh, I see how to get in touch with her or here's a little bit about her. Um, But it wasn't what I led with. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've mentioned this a couple of times. It's about that relationship building. Mm -hmm. And for anybody who's starting a new business, or even if you already have one, you don't have to, you shouldn't be spending your time on social media. You shouldn't be spending your time on on your website. And this is coming from someone who firmly believes in 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 that, and I enjoy doing it. Um, but it really, even for my business, the business I get are the relationships that I make because I go out and I talk to people and I meet them. And you know, it it works for you. Mm-hmm. You you don't have the rest of that. Yeah, and uh, now I'm on. at the point where it's like stuff comes from. Oh, I didn't even go after that. But like it's kind of compounded now. Word of mouth. Yeah. yeah. In the beginning, though, it was making purposeful connections. And there were times where it's like, I'm worried about the pipeline. You know, it's kind of stressful. And there were times where I was actually tempted to go back inside, you know, like, oh, you know, that wouldn't a 401k be nice again? And so, I mean, now I'm there, but I've been tempted. But I knew that I would be um, doing it for the wrong reasons. So at that point, and it was only about a year and a half ago that I kind of had that, 
concern of should I do that? And then I just kind of doubled down and said, no, I know this is what I enjoy the most. This is where I contribute the best. And so what do I need to do? What conversations do I need to be in? Um, how do I like be purposeful about monitoring possibilities? And from that, things develop. It's working. Mm-hmm. It's working. All right. Um, latest book recommendations, podcast. What's your favorite right now? So I am a book pusher and I really like different books. So there's a guy named Stephen Cope and he wrote a book called The Great Work of Your Life. And um, uh, his most recent one is called Soul Friends. And they, these like, he uses kind of a, like a, a yoga background and, and that kind of mentality, but it's, it's really great to like, it was a different approach. So Stephen Cope is somebody that I've been focused on. Um, and there's an, another book that I've been reading along with a group of other women called The Way of the Mysterial Woman. And it's mysterial is like mysterious and medial you know, like normal and, and mysterious at the same time. But it looks at the archetypes that we grow up with and um, and a way to, to move through that, to, to recognize, again, how to answer the call now for the feminine in leadership. So that's one. And then, um, yeah, there's always a number of books um, on on the nightstand. So there's that, but then like podcasts, I can really geek out about those things too. Um, Malcolm Gladwell has one that we found this summer and it was, it was two full seasons, but Malcolm Gladwell is awesome, right? And he wrote Tipping Point and Blink and um, Outliers and David and Goliath, right? So in his podcast, these are just like 40 minute little snippets of he'll take a topic and he'll do, you know, underneath the iceberg, you know, I mean, Anyway, he's fantastic. So that was a podcast that I sincerely enjoyed. And then there was one more that I found this fall by Esther Perel. And Esther Perel is a, she's a relationship expert and she's had a few different TED talks. And, um, this one, she, she talks with these couples uh, about, um, their relationship. And I just love understanding relationships in general and getting insights from that. And so, She's on Audible, whereas um, Malcolm is like on NPR. But there, I like I like I like a lot of different podcasts. Yeah, you're you're somebody that I go to when I need to find a book mm-hmm. on a certain topic, mm-hmm. and she'll just pull it right off of her shelf, <laughs> and it ends up on my shelf. Yeah, sometimes it stays there. <laughs> but um, you you definitely always have good insight. Yeah. So, um, are there any questions from from you guys? Do you have any questions for Stephanie? Or me, or cool. Thanks for coming in My again, pleasure. Stephanie. Yeah, You're and welcome. sharing Thank your you. insight. I appreciate it. My pleasure. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We will definitely be following the leadership trends and topics that were covered today, and we encourage you to be resilient this year. Improve the way you manage your stress work on decreasing the division that is so apparent during this time and approach situations from a place of curiosity. Also, check the show notes for a link to a complete write-up about how we record and produce the Leadership Looks Like podcast, including the equipment and software we use to bring our show to you. Thanks as always for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, visit the Leadership Looks Like Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. 
Leadership Looks Like is a podcast dedicated to leaders everywhere. Our mission is to show that leaders come from all different backgrounds, ages, colors, shapes, and sizes. For more information about our project or to become a contributor, visit leadershiplookslike.org. Sign up for Fresh Start Mondays and get access to free leadership tips delivered to your inbox every Monday. To subscribe, visit leadershipexcursion.co forward slash subscribe. And finally, The Coop, Las Vegas' newest co-working location with a focus on community and collaboration. If you're a small business owner looking for office space and amenities and would like to be located in Summerlin, visit thecoopcowork.com. Until next time, continue to inspire and support one another through effective leadership. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. See you again next week.